Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Today, I'm in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. So before we read it, let me just ask, what has your attention? Not just what has your attention right now, because that's probably, you know, either the road in front of you or the mirror in front of you. Um, Maybe I'm in your ear. Jesus is in your heart. What's consuming your attention? What is taking up your time today? So this is a question about not just attention, but also distraction. What attracts our attention? What do we find attractional? And do we tend to give attention to, you know, that which is like fast and shiny and clickbaity? Or are we giving our attention without distraction to those things that matter most? Are we distracted by many things, too many things? Have we become kind of frenetic in our attention to things that ultimately don't matter very much? Are we failing to give attention to primary things, maybe to the primary thing, to the primary one? Are we choosing lesser things over that which matters most? That's really going to be the question set before us um, by this passage from Luke chapter 10. So beginning at verse 38. So as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, we know um, that uh, that this is Bethany because Later on, we get to know Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus really well. But here is our, um, uh, is our introduction. So as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. It's curious here that Luke chooses to identify this as Martha's house. It was obviously also the house of Lazarus and Mary, uh, these three siblings who we know who live together in Bethany and with whom Jesus spends a lot of time, particularly in the last week of his life. But there are a number of stories uh, where that take place at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So the, the home is identified here as Martha's home. Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with many things, with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary or essential or primary. And Mary has chosen that. Mary has chosen the good portion, the good portion, or some would translate it the better portion, and it will not be taken away from her. So, of all the things that need tending to today, let me encourage us to start our day with the good portion, with the primary thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let us not be distracted with so many other things, even with important things like serving and hospitality. Let us first concern ourselves with that which is primary, the good portion. 
Let us feast on the Word of God. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Where in the Word are you today? Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In is up next. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's walk our way through some reviews today. Um, yeah. Let's start with one that we can read at PluggedIn.com, and that is a review of Spirit Untamed. Yes. You know, if you hear that title and you think to yourself, self, that sounds like an animated movie about a girl and her horse, you get a prize. <laughs> That's what it's about. <laughs> It's about a girl and her horse, and this is a movie that uh, continues the story and actually fills in the backstory of a series that was on Netflix uh, and is on Netflix called Spirit Riding Free, which my daughters have really enjoyed. And in a nutshell, it is about a young girl named Lucky Prescott who is living on the frontier uh, with her dad, Old West, think Old West, and she has an opportunity to tame an untamable horse, which of course is named Spirit. Nobody else can get the job done, but Spirit and Lucky bond, and they share a stubbornness and a pride and a an instinct for adventure slash getting into a little bit of trouble. So if there's a concern here, it's that Lucky doesn't always obey her dad. She doesn't always quite tell him the truth. Uh, she's not a a person of bad character. She just, she's kind of spirited, you know, she likes to go out and do things. And she and Lucky have uh, an adventure here. There is a, a bad guy, of course, it's not just about uh, the girl and her horse. And the bad guy is named Beckett. And Beckett wants to capture other wild horses and enslave them. And Lucky and Spirit are having none of that. And uh, they set out to stop this ne'er-do-well, and this feels like a place where ne'er-do-well is is the right <laughs> phrase, uh, to keep Beckett from uh, his nefarious melodramatic plans. So really pretty nice movie. Uh, no huge content here other than some mild horse peril. Uh, and at times, Lucky's attitude leaves a little bit to be desired. But there are actually some consequences here, which was nice to see. So that is Spirit Untamed. Um, always leads us to, you know, good opportunities to talk about uh, the the created order, gives us good opportunities to talk about the relationships that we have with, um, you know, other species, right? And I think it yes. gives us the opportunity to talk about the uniqueness of being human and, uh, and, and our role and responsibility and relationship to uh, the animal kingdom. So I just think well, all, uh, all kinds of good things there, right? Well, let me say something about that, you know. Okay. We take for granted talking animals, and uh, mm. as an English major uh, and a cultural uh, studier, if you will, you know the name for that is anthropomorphism to ascribe human qualities to something that is not human. Now, we've been living with cartoons, you know, all of us for all of our lives, and I think that there's really an argument to be made that cartoons pave the way for a blurring of that understanding 
of humans being made in God's image and the rest of creation being important and a reflection of God's goodness and creativity, but no other creature is made in God's image. And that sets us apart. And obviously Genesis spells out our responsibility to be good stewards of creation, to bring order, but there is an established order and humans are at the top of that hierarchy. And so when we get people who want to suggest that animals have the same existential value as humans, the Bible actually says, no, they don't, because nobody else has the dignity and the value ascribed to them as being created in God's image. So it's navigable. I'm not saying never watch a cartoon or an animated movie that has talking animals, but when you have a steady diet of those, it makes the arguments that we might see from fringe organizations seem more plausible uh, when, in fact, we have a theology that's, that spells things out pretty clearly. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, Adam, let's talk about another movie here. Let's talk about The Conjuring. <clears throat> the Devil Made Me Do It. So The Conjuring is a really interesting franchise. This is the fourth or fifth Conjuring film uh, in this franchise, and it is about two characters who sort of, well, they're Ghostbusters, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, they're not Ghostbusters. They're actually Demon Busters, and they have had a long and storied cinematic career uh, basically doing exorcisms. And there are things to like about the Conjuring franchise in this movie in particular, and there are some pretty big problems. Now, on the plus side, uh, they have a connection with the Catholic Church. And so there is a spiritual framework here that understands the reality of the demonic and the idea that demons can influence people. And so the whole franchise is about exorcism. Um, but this is actually based on... Uh, a true story, and obviously you always want to take that uh, that phrase with a, a pretty big grain of salt, um, wherein there was a young boy who was possessed, there was an exorcism in process that wasn't going well, another young man, uh, in an attempt to be helpful, tells the demon that he can come inhabit him instead of this young boy, mm. that habit, that happens, and then that now possessed young man goes on to kill somebody. Mm. And the movie is actually about the legal case of trying to prove that demonic possession is real and that this boy is not guilty of murder because he was possessed. So you might think from the title that this is just another horror movie. Now, there's actually quite a bit going on here. And there's even a link back to the real world. So, um, that's the plus side. The negative side is that it treats dealing with demons in a, almost a mechanical kind of way. You know, you have to have crosses and holy water and, you know, all the right stuff as opposed to the importance of faith and belief. Um, and, and these are sort of world weary Catholics who you get the sense they've done maybe one too many exorcisms. So uh, definitely some things theologically here that are off. Um, but a reminder, I think that there is a spiritual battle, uh, but I don't know that you have to go to an R rated horror movie that's full of jump scenes and horrific things to know that the spiritual battle is real. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure I do not need to go. Um, but thank you so much. Um, I'm going to encourage people to do something like read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters yes. instead. Yes. Like, right, really good option there. Okay, hey, yep. uh, Adam Holtz and I have to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, more, you know, like pop culture and Christian life. That's the intersection that we're standing in right now. We'll be right back. All right, I'm talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Um, okay, this is a pop. This is a pop quiz. This is actually not in our notes. Who, who, or what is Grimes? Grimes, I believe, is an actress. Um, okay, so that helps I me. Think so she could, she was married or in relationship with uh, Robert Pattinson. She might also be a musician. Forgive me, I'm I'm see, a little bit good. rusty. Yeah. Well, it's okay. I'm um, I'm setting this up for you because apparently uh, Grimes is explaining how AI could move us toward what this person envisions as a positive communism where nobody really works or all the work is really done by robots. And I figured that was a good segue into a conversation about the television series Eden, which yeah. a review of which is, is – uh, posted at pluggedin.com. So how do you like that for a segue? Mm -hmm. uh, that was a fantastic segue. Uh, Eden is an interesting new show uh, on Netflix, and it is in the genre of anime. And anime is basically a subset of Japanese animation that has some distinctive features, not the least of which is human characters with really big, expressive eyes. Anime often veers in some pretty problematic directions, but this particular show doesn't have too many problems and poses some interesting philosophical questions. And it imagines a post-apocalyptic world where the survivors are trying to make sense of it all. But in this case, the humans are all dead and the survivors are the robots that they programmed. And so many, many, many years, it's not even clear how many after the disappearance of humans, the robots are still going about their duty, but they're kind of, if not evolving, sort of moving toward a, oh, kind of an existential wondering about where they came from. And so we have a couple of robots in particular that start to, you know, think of their creator as something that deserves to be reverenced. And there's this myth of humanity and they want to know more about it. And then there are some other robots that are like, nah, we don't need to waste our time with that stuff. It doesn't really matter. And then into the midst of that uh, comes a little girl, a little human girl who shows up in a pod and I won't go into a lot of detail about where she comes from. You could probably watch the show and figure it out. And it, it kind of scrambles their brains because essentially the creator shows up. Now this is a, a pretty thoughtful animated show that I think definitely could generate some interesting conversation about this, you know, the relationship between creator and created. Uh, and at least so far, uh, not too much content to worry about either. So um, you know, when we review TV shows, it's always a little bit of a work in progress because stuff can happen later and we like to come back and revisit things. But that's the gist of Eden. Pretty interesting show. Apparently, there's a whole subculture out there where there's this effort to have these huge, innocent anime eyes, at least right. in your online oh, appearance. Yeah. Yeah, well, and there are some people that even have gone so far as to have plastic surgery to make themselves look more like their favorite anime characters. So it's a 
it's an interesting story about how culture can influence us in significant ways. Mm. Okay, let's let's just be people who want to look more like Jesus, not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, right? That would be maybe Absolutely. the encouragement, the encouragement to kids today. All right, um, let's do um, let's do we the people um, because we, you and I have more things on our list than we can actually cover. What uh, I mean, you know, when we hear we the people, we're thinking of one thing. What are we going to be thinking about when we hear we the people? Well, we're going to be thinking about obviously the founding of our country. Um, and, you know, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, those sorts of things. This is actually the title of a new series of short animated features that will be on Netflix, and it's been produced by Barack and Michelle Obama, uh, and they'll focus on different civics lessons. Now, those of us of a certain age will say, wait a minute. (laughs) I suddenly want to start singing about history, and I don't know why. Obviously, Schoolhouse Rock did this in the late 60s and early 70s. So this isn't a new idea, uh, but this is uh, an attempt to do something similar using a long list of current musicians and celebrities, um, you know, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, Brittany Howard, David Diggs, Robert Lopez, Her... Um, her is a, a female singer and guitar player. And, you know, they're dealing with subjects like change, like taxes, like uh, what it means to be an American citizen, that sort of thing. Um, I think I want to actually see how good a job they do. Um, the trailer sets it up as something interesting. Uh, you may or may not agree with Barack and Michelle Obama's political perspective. Um, but I'm curious to see the extent to which we get, if you will, a, a nonpartisan uh, exploration of these important ideas or how much it leans left. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I th- but I think it's good for people to know that it's coming. It's out there. Yeah. It's uh, it's happening. Um, all right. We we might have time if we do it quickly to cover one more thing. Um, yes. I see on my list Ellie Kemper with two question marks. Oh, Ellie Kemper is in hot water. So Ellie Kemper (laughs) uh, is the star of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She was on The Office. She's kind of a beloved comedian, actress. And in 1999, when she was a 19-year-old teen, she went to a ball and was the queen of the ball. And there are a lot of details. This is a crazy story. But it since has been revealed that the ball's history had racist roots and if not a direct relationship to the KKK, at least some superficial similarities. And she's being sort of retroactively canceled, or at least there is a discussion going on about whether she should be canceled because she was, you know, the queen of this debutante ball that has some uh, kind of shady history. Um, But, oh, man, I mean, to me, it just... You know, let's line up my red flags and just stick them high in the air about things that may have some sort of problematic history, how much we hold teens accountable for things that they probably had no idea what they were participating in or, you know, a vague idea at best. It's like, do we do we ruin this woman's career 22 years later because as a teenager she was involved in something that had a bad history. I mean, it's a crazy story. And thankfully, I've actually read, read a number of articles about people at least asking the question, 
wait a minute, can we call timeout on this and just not rush to, you know, throw Ellie Kemper under the bus for something that was probably not an intentional shout out to racism? Right. Probably not. And probably not when she, you know, put on a white gown and was in a debutante ball. Like, that's the challenge that we face. Uh, And and, and even there, we're totally inconsistent (sighs) because we can go back to lots of celebrities past and find things that are problematic. You know, why are we calling out this one? So, hey, we can find things today. I mean, if you want to be a pepper picker, right, there's plenty of pepper to pick. Let's be salt, not pepper. There you go. Adam (laughs) Holtz, as always. Thank you so much, man. We really appreciate your time. You guys can find what Adam is writing, what he's talking about at PluggedIn.com. Our friends over there at Focus on the Family. We'll be right back. We talked yesterday with Dr. Lydia Dugdale about... The reality of death, and we talked about um, how we can experience it um, in ways that are more connected and immediate. Um, today, we're going to talk with author Mark Negley. He's the um, the author of "Survive Alive, Thrive." We're going to talk about walking through grief, understanding grief. Um, and recovering from it in ways that are life-giving. The book is, and the ministry is, Survive Alive, Thrive. If you're walking through a season of grief or loss of any kind, um, you're going to want to get your pencil out. Mark Negley joins me next. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is Max Lakato. Jesus came to serve. Suppose you took that role. Be the family member who offers to wash the dishes after dinner. Be the neighbor who mows the grass of the elderly people. Find happiness in serving others. Doing good does the doer good. What would happen if everyone took on the role of a servant? How many marriages would be blessed? If politicians set out to serve people more than serve themselves, would their country benefit? If churches were populated by sincere servants, how many people would hear the invitation of a lifetime? Service. This is Max Lakato, and this is How Happiness Happens. Mark Negley joins me now. Um, We're going to talk about Mark's story, and we're going to talk about how um, he's using allowing God to use his story to serve others in uh, in the experience of walking through grief and loss. Mark, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. So great to be here. Appreciate being on. Absolutely. So the um, the book, the ministry is survive alive. Thrive. We want to encourage folks to um, to visit Mark online um, and find out more about the book. The website is survivealivethrivebook.com. And I want to, I wanted to encourage you guys to check that out. Um, Mark, you have experienced uh, a lot of loss and grief in your own life. Um, and you, it seems to me that what you're doing is allowing 
what God has, uh, the comfort with which God has comforted you, you are then extending that to comfort others and um, and teach them some things you've learned along the way. So if you would be so kind as to do so, just share with folks, I mean, it's a bit of a litany of the grief and loss that you've experienced, um, and then invite us into uh, the Survive Alive Thrive. I think I'll call it a formula. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I would first start, Carmen, by reminding everybody that loss is something that is affecting all of us today. And if you're listening, know that you're not alone. There are, boy, in a WebMD survey that was done in 2019, 70% of Americans said that they were being impacted directly by loss or brokenness. You could multiply that times 300 million. There's 200 million of us that have gone through tough stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, my, and we're currently going through it right now. And yeah, my journey includes um, raising a child with special needs. If you've been through that, you know how hard and isolating that can be. Um, I received a call uh, from an ambulance um, in 2012 that um, from a paramedic that my wife was being rushed to the hospital after a high-speed car accident. They didn't know if she'd make it, and I needed to rush to the hospital. I've been diagnosed with cancer, and you know nothing prepares you quite for that moment when the doctor looks you in the eye and says, um, we think that we can get it. Um, I've cared for family members um, struggling with depression and mental illness. I've lost a business due to the bankruptcy of a, of a partner that was unexpected. And ultimately, after years of struggling with uh, the injuries associated with her car accident, I lost my wife to suicide five years ago in 2016. So I, I've been through a gauntlet of tough stuff. That That's true. Um, and yet we're talking today um, because you didn't just survive all of those losses. Um, you're alive today um, and you're thriving. So I think I that that's the, that's the hope edge of all of this. Talk about rising from the ashes. Talk about, um, you know, talk about living and thriving uh, once, we have, once we have survived. Well, it, it, it's a great question. The, it, each of us respond to loss events differently. Um, some, in, in my case, um, I couldn't sleep past about two or three in the morning. So I would get up in the dark nights of Connecticut where I lived in, in, in that time. And I would walk and run and cry and pray and ask God for direction. And he kind of revealed in that really dark survive journey. And, and people who have been through this understand the word survive, which is the first stage in the model that, I'm, that I share in, in my book. And that is you're just tr- hanging on, trying to get from one moment or one day to the next. And ultimately, how do you do it? Well, for me, I leaned directly on my faith and on God, and I trusted him. And he revealed that he was greater than that, greater than any of the things that I've listed, greater than cancer, greater than losing somebody that I love tragically, and that I could trust him. And that that ultimately he would walk with me and I would be able to testify to his grace and his love in the toughest of circumstances and help others. And, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit ago, the idea of, of helping to um, inspire others. Jimmy Graham has this great quote in one of his devotionals that is called under the Hills is the devotional. But at any rate, he said, the sufferer becomes the comforter in the service of the Lord. And his idea was, that Jesus gave us this great model where 
he suffered himself. God came to us and suffered like we do. And then as we now go through our suffering, we turn to him because we know he understands. So those of us who have been through losses, as Billy Graham's quote indicates, we have an opportunity to provide others who are going through tough stuff with an opportunity to lean in and connect and find community and support and encouragement and hope that they can find. I mean, if you're listening, I promise you, you will find your way through with God and community to find hope and an opportunity to thrive again. I'm, I'm, in fact, here I am five years removed from the death of Victoria um, and moved down here into the Nashville area with my, at the time, 18-year-old son. And I just celebrated my one-year anniversary to an extraordinary woman um, uh, this past weekend. It doesn't mean what I've been through isn't part of my life and woven into the fabric of my journey. It means that that's part of my journey and I'm able to move forward with the support and love of God um, in order to continue to honor her memory and the positive experiences that we had together. That, that's the secret or the, the, the method behind Survive Alive Thrive and the way that we explain it on survivealivethrive.org, which is our new um, nonprofit website. All right, great. We want to invite you to check out survivealivethrive.org. Um, and we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Mark Negley. We're going to um, we're going to talk about the importance of community for those who are journeying through grief. It is not something God intends for us to do all by ourselves. We'll be right back. We know we were made for so much more than Indeed, we were made to thrive. We want to invite you to visit survivealivethrive.org. You'll find Mark Negley there. You will find information about the book. You'll find great conversations and resources. Um, acknowledging that loss is not one size fits all. Um, and so we're going to talk about this Survive Alive Thrive model for understanding and processing grief. Mark Negley, uh, the author and the uh, the host, curator, I don't know, uh, aficionado of the website uh, is is here with me now. Um, Talk about um, talk about community as such an essential part of this conversation. Well, you know, what's really interesting, Carmen, is that as many of your listeners know, when you go through something tough, there's almost a reflective reaction to isolate, to kind of circle the wagons and Uh, sit at home. And that's the absolute opposite of the healthiest thing that you can do, right? The whole point of community is, is to provide you with the understanding that you're not alone in this journey. And there's, there's kind of a, a, a a two-pronged approach to that, right? First is our faith. We know, uh, you know, God has promised, and there's a lot of scripture in this Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you or forsake you. So, you know, on this vertical axis, God is always with you. You're never really alone. And yet, when here in uh, in this walk, this journey um, in in our lives, it can still feel like it if you don't have people surrounding you. And there's some research that's been done, very fascinating. A psychologist out of UCLA 
who was able to measure, neurobiologically measure, that healing takes place when you share your story with others, not getting advice, just sharing your story with an emphatic audience. So that means we're wired. God has made us so that when we go through tough stuff and we share that journey with somebody who's listening, that we experience God's healing just through that process. So, you know, ultimately, one of the missions of the, of, of the book is to make sure people know that they're not alone. And we explore a lot of different stories and, and ideas and insights from people who have walked what you're walking through. And we also provide through the nonprofit virtual grief groups and an opportunity to connect with others in various stages of their journey. So you can find a group and a community of people that are going through what you're doing, or at least can relate to what you're going through. And that process of connecting and sharing will lead you to healing and will give you the opportunity to give back and help heal others as you share your story. So important. So, Mark, there's going to be people listening who are thinking to themselves, hey, you know, we already know about, you know, the the stages of grief and, you know, people can just use that. <laughs> what differentiates Survive Alive Thrive um, and why why might those sort of like old markers of the stages of grief, you know, that doesn't work for everybody. Well, I would argue it, it, it doesn't work for anybody. The, the five stage model, which is the most, you know, well-known um, grief model was written in 1969 in a book by a Swiss psychologist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in a book called, you know, on death and dying. And as I didn't experience any of these individual five state five emotional steps, which is, you know, they're defined as denial and anger, um, a bargaining, depression and acceptance, like you check these box and move through. Well, as I went through the research and talked, I've interviewed hundreds of people who've gone through their own personal lost journey. None of them thought that that worked like that for them. So I looked into it and it wasn't even designed for that purpose. The entire point of the five stages and what it was written for were people who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had three to six months to live. So of course, it, you know, it's been adopted inappropriately for folks who have survived or gone through loss. So Survive Alive Thrive instead looks at each of these three stages as you know, inclusive, atomic in nature, like many different emotions and complicated um, responsibilities and life tasks and relationships that are all swirling around at the same time that have the potential to bump into each other and create explosions, kind of like the metaphorical atom. So ultimately, we help you to find out how to, to explore ways to it find emotional elbow room so that the collisions are less frequent to gain some perspective on um, what's the difference in what you're experiencing and what you're feeling immediately following your loss of that and survive. And then how does that change and evolve as you are becoming alive again, where you are re-engaging the kids have to go back to school. You've got to pay your bills. You probably have to go back to work and yet your heart is still heavy how does how does that work and what makes that different with all these complicated swirling emotions and responsibilities and finally even when you arrive in a thriving stage and you are living a joy-filled life there are still benchmarks and 
birth dates and anniversaries and things that that you need to be aware of so that as you are living a healthy life, that you continue that journey and but you do so by helping others, giving back, but ultimately it's an integrated, fluid, multifaceted, step-by-step um, approach that is much more inclusive rather than uh, some sort of a checkbox linear concept, which just doesn't work. All right. I know that we have whetted your appetite this morning for more. Uh, and so we want to invite you to the website, survivealivethrive.org. The book is by the same title, Survive Alive Thrive. Um, Mark, I know that you're now in um, in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'm wondering to myself if you know or have met Jonathan Pitts over at Church of the City. I know Jonathan very well. Okay. So because yeah, my conversation here on air about his book, um, My Winter Season, um, and his yep. experience of um, of the shadow of grief um, is just one that stands out in my mind. He's a precious brother in Christ. And so I'm, I'm glad to know that. Uh, I'm glad to know you guys know each other and are uh, and are already aligned um, in your um, you know, in your new community. Um, talk, talk with us. Let's talk. Let's spend a minute or two talking about the importance of community, um, because I do. I am concerned that there are people who imagine they can do this by themselves. Well, and the fact of the matter is we weren't, you know, built to be alone and to do this by ourselves. Right. You're you know, we have a relational God that is uh, created us in order to actually be in relationship with us. And we have that same desire to be in relationship with one another. And as you uh, learn that others have gone through what you're going through or are currently going through what you've been through in some way, and while it's unique and your experiences is your own, it's comforting and encouraging. It reduces anxiety to sit and learn from others about their journey. And ultimately the love that you experience from those who want to be there and help you is the same love that God promises when, you know, he says, well, Christ in the Sermon on the Mount said what? Is that, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Well, the mourning process is not a singular isolated process. It's one of community. I, I, a good friend, you know, once told me that grief was a team sport and that when you go through loss, the ripples through your family, through your friendship circles, uh, you know, are, are something that is impacting your entire community. It makes sense that, you know, and I, I encourage you and I promise you that you are not alone if you're going through this and that People out there will understand and appreciate and love you through this journey and give them the opportunity. In fact, Survive Alive Thrive has online um, virtual grief um, support groups where you can find others and communicate with us. The key is when you know you're not alone, when you are walking the journey together, we are all stronger and we are all, as Billy Graham says, uh, you know, walking in the service of the Lord that he has modeled for us through, you know, the love and, and, and gift of Christ. 
I'm so thankful for you, um, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you for what you're doing. The website is survivealivethrive.org. The book is by the same title. Mark Nagley uh, is uh, is the author and I think the shepherd of this ministry. Mark, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. you just love the way God works things out and that he's just busy every, I mean, you know, I guess maybe God doesn't, maybe characterizing God as busy is not right, the right way to think about it. I, God is consumed moment by moment, um, not only with his own glory, but with the edification of his people. And so be very open today to the way that God intends to bless you. Um, have your eyes opened to, you know, like the flowers that he's sending out there today and all kinds of great stuff. All right. Have a great weekend. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.